You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? He was making a judgment. But in reality, he was judging himself. The question of Pilate is one that every single man faces. What should we do with Jesus Christ? Every man has to face that question. What should we do with Christ? You must judge yourself on what you're going to do with him. But in reality, in judging him to either be the Son of God or not the Son of God, the Savior or not the Savior, in reality, you're judging yourself on how you choose your destiny will be determined by your decision. We all have a decision to make. How will we respond to the gospel message? Today, Pastor Dave presses us with the question, what will we do with Jesus Christ? Salvation is given only in the name of Jesus. There is no more important decision for us in this life. How we choose will determine our eternal destiny. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he continues his message, Paul's first sermon application. the place of grace in Paul's life, but also notice the place of works. And you can take works and supplant the word application. Notice how Paul applied the word of God to his life. He applied the grace of God to his life. Now, a lot of people talk about the grace of God. And they totally exclude the application. Just receive the grace. Just receive God's grace. Whatever needs to be done, God will do it. Just receive God's grace. There are those who even look upon works as almost something wrong. It is wrong to look upon works if you're looking for works for righteousness standing before God. Works will not get you in heaven. Works does not save you. Only by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus something else. Works cannot bring you into a righteous standing before God. But having received the grace of God, having received it by faith, my response to him is that the grace is my desire to do for God whatever I can do. My response then becomes, what can I do for you? What can I come back and do for you because of all this wonderful grace you've given me? That's what Paul's saying here. I want to show my love and appreciation for you, Lord. I want to see others come into your grace, come into your mercy. I want to see others come into the kingdom. Works, application, have a place in the believer's heart. It's a vital place for our lives. Works can do nothing for our salvation or righteousness, but they help us to show our appreciation and love for God. Sometimes we seek by our works to get God to respond to us. Sometimes it's just, if I do this, you'll do this. If I fast, you'll do this. If I pray more, you'll do this. We try to make God obligate it to us. That's works. We can't do that. God's not going to change. God is who he is. He's the initiator of everything. We are the responder. We're the ones that respond to his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying on a cross. We respond to that love. We love because he first loved us. We respond to God's love. It's a natural response to a love. The works that I do are not to get God to respond to me. I'll do this if you do that. No. We don't obligate God to do anything. I respond to what God has done for me. 
Paul says that having the recipient of God's grace, by responding to that grace, he labored more abundantly than anybody else, the rest of the apostles. Jesus said that he was forgiven much, loved much. When you have that love, when you realize that love of what you've been forgiven of, what you've been set free from, and you love with a desire that's incredible. You love with the heart of Christ, and you love unconditionally. So we see the desire for the word and the desire to understand. These are being responses to what Paul has said, the gospel message. But another response is the drawing of people in, the drawing of people in, evangelism. Evangelism didn't begin with a D, so I had to come up with something else. Drawing people in. The word must have gotten out because look at what happens on the next Sabbath day in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Wow. What did they come to hear? They came to hear the word of God. They did not come to see a man, but to hear the word of God. This must have delighted Paul's heart. Paul, the total missionary, the total pastor, His heart must have soared when they begged him to come back because they came to see and hear the word of God. They came to hear it. People were coming to hear the word of God. They were receiving what was being said, and they were receiving it as God's word, and they were wanting to hear more of it. They were telling others about it, bringing others to the church. You got to hear. You got to hear the word of God. Come on. You got to get here and hear the word of God. It's the power of God to salvation. You got to hear this stuff, and people were coming to hear It's the word of God that draws men and women to God. It's not slick preaching. It's not fancy shows. It's not dancing in the aisles, waving flags. It's not programs. It's the word of God that draws people to God. It's his word and his word alone that draws them into a relationship with him. The whole city came to see what was going on. The whole city was drawn Wow, what an exciting time. What an exciting time it was. So we see the desire, and we see drawing people in. Another response to the word of God is the dispensing of an attitude. Dispensing an attitude. Yeah, the old attitude thing. This is what's happening to the Jews, or with the Jews in verse 45. They copped an attitude. They copped an attitude to the word of God. Listen to what it says. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Opposition to the word of God. If there's one thing that we can be certain of is that if the word of God is preached, there will be opposition. Preach the word of God, opposition. Count on it. Bank on it. It's going to happen. Anytime you preach the word of God, there will be opposition. Men prefer darkness over light. Satan doesn't want the word of God to get out, so he will oppose it in any way he can. People always think they have something better to offer than the word of God. We need more programs. We need more work details. We we spend way too much time in the word of God. You use the wrong translation. You make everything sound so easy. It's not that easy. There has to be more to it. When the word of God is taught, People cop attitudes. Don't judge me. Don't be judging me. People are offended. People are offended by the word of God. And some even feel envy when the ministry starts to grow and they see people getting saved. They get envious, like it's a competition. It's not a competition. It's about Christ. That's what I see happening in these scriptures right here. The Jews were losing control over the people. They were losing control and they started to get angry. Greg Laurie 
great Calvary Chapel pastor said this, that if you don't offend someone, you're not preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel, you will offend someone. Because of this attitude, because of this copying of attitude, and they were dispensing this attitude to the word of God, what do Paul and Barnabas do? They discharge their obligation. Paul and Barnabas discharge their obligation to the Jews. In verse 46 and 47, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be to you first, Jews, but since you reject it and judge yourselves not worthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be salvation to the ends of the earth. <laughs> so they brought the gospel to the Jew first, and then having been rejected, they go to the Gentiles I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then the Gentiles. This was Paul's modus operandi. This is what he did. When the Jews rejected him, he went to the Gentiles. He knew that he was the apostle of the Gentiles, and he carried that message. So what did the Jews do by rejecting the gospel message? They judged themselves. They judged themselves. A man judges themselves. As you judge Jesus Christ, you judge yourself. I don't have to judge you. As you judge Christ, you judge yourself. Pilate said, what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? He was making a judgment. But in reality, he was judging himself. The question of Pilate is one that every single man faces. What should we do with Jesus Christ? Every man has to face that question. What should we do with Christ? You must judge yourself on what you're going to do with him. But in reality... In judging him to either be the son of God or not the son of God, the savior or not the savior, in reality, you're judging yourself on how you choose. Your destiny will be determined by your decision. Your destiny. Your decision concerning Jesus won't change who he is. It won't change what he did. It won't change his destiny. But it could change yours. The way you determine who Jesus is will determine your destiny. Your decision won't change. Paul says, since you've judged yourself unworthy, we're going to the Gentiles. Paul discharges his obligation to the Jews freely and goes to the Gentiles who were longing for the word of God. They were begging for the word of God. They were begging for more of it. So we have this desire for the word of God and understanding. We see a drawing of people into the word evangelism. We see dispensing of an attitude towards God's word, and we see the discharging of Paul and Barnabas's obligation. The next thing we see is God's divine power through his word. God has a divine power through his word. The word of God is powerful, powerful. We read the scripture in Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to his eyes to him whom we must give account. God sees everything, knows everything. And he uses the word of God to cut, to do surgery on your heart that you might accept him. What did the Gentiles do? Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God or the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believe, and the word of God was being spread throughout the region. Look how the Gentiles responded to the word of God. First, they were glad and they glorified God. This is wonderful. Later, Paul is going to write to the church of Thessalonica. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, he said, For this reason we also give thank without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. How do you receive the word of God? Do you receive it as God's word? Do you receive it gladly as God's word and glorify God for his word? The word of God will accomplish that which is intended to do in your hearts if you're willing to receive it and if you're willing to let it do what it needs to do and if you're willing to apply it. Interesting here, the word appointed actually means they were prepared beforehand. The preparation that we were talking about, they were prepared beforehand. This speaks of what? Election. But in verse 48, we see the two sides of evangelism. The first side we see is the divine side of evangelism. God has his elect people. God calls. God chooses. Those prepared to receive God's name by God, their names are written in the book. In verse 49, we see the human side of evangelism. If we don't preach the word, people won't hear. They won't have a chance to believe. Does that sound familiar? It should. Look at Romans 10, 13 and 15. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom have they not heard? How shall they know without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good things. You have the divine side of evangelism, God's sovereignty. And then you have human side of evangelism, man's responsibility to respond. But every time the word of God preaches, you come up to the next response, and that's division. God's word divides. God's word divides people. Look at Acts Acts 13, verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. The word of God pits one against the other, even family members against each other. What? Yo, Dave, I thought it was a gospel of peace. It is. But when you believe, there are going to be people who oppose you, and most of them are going to be probably in your own family. And they're going to oppose what it is you believe. Every one of you, when you believe Christ, lost friends or co-workers or maybe even family members because of your decision to follow Christ, the gospel divides men and women. Remember what Jesus said about that? Jesus says in Luke 12, 51 through 53, Do you suppose that I came to give peace to the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The division, this is so true. The gospel of Jesus Christ divides men. Those who are saved, those who are not saved. Those who are saved, have eternal life. Those that aren't saved don't have eternal life. And they're divided because sometimes they're jealous of those that are saved. Sometimes they think that they're offensive. Sometimes they think that those that are saved are judging them constantly. It's a constant thing. So there's the division there. Especially in the Jewish household. Especially in the Orthodox Jewish households to which this was written to. When they put their faith in Jesus Christ, we said this before, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they were totally ostracized by the family. Totally ostracized to the point where they have funerals for them. 
they be them dead because they've basically believed that they've turned their back on Judaism and they've accepted this Christ. Gospel divides. And finally, in verses 51 and 52, we see delight. The disciples are in delight. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Ever hear those words before, shook off their feet? Matthew 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus told the disciples when he sent them out, and whoever does not receive or hear your words when you depart from the house or the city, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Ooh. Shaking off the dust of your feet was like pronouncing a judgment on the city because they didn't believe, because they didn't believe what was going on. These disciples were not defeated, and they were certainly not discouraged. They were very, very happy. They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually, joy is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at Galatians 5.22, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. God had done a mighty work in their midst. Many had come into repentance and were saved. The body of Christ continued to grow and expand. What was there to be discouraged about? What was there to be discouraged about? But too often, we miss the big picture because we look at the little bump. We miss the big picture because we look at the little bump. Like the big body who stubs its small toe. I can't walk because my small toe hurts. Oh my gosh. You're decapacitated because you can't do anything because your little tiny toe hurts. We look at the little picture all the time. We like to focus on the minor instead of the major. The major is Jesus Christ. The minor is all the other stuff that gets in the way. All the other stuff, the circumstances of life, the sin, the opposition, everything else that's going on. If we just major on Christ and see him clearly. God's divine power saved many. There was joy and delight in the hearts of the disciples. They knew that they had accomplished what God had wanted to accomplish. They knew that God's word went forth boldly, and they knew there was salvation. Anytime you see salvation, it's got to make you excited. It's got to make your heart sore. So the word of God brought many responses in those verses. There were many applications, both good and bad. Look at some of the responses. It brought forth desire. Desire for more and a desire for understanding. It brought forth evangelism, drawing men and women towards God. It brought forth God's divine power and saved many. And it brought forth delight and joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the downside? The rejection of the word brought forth the dispensing of attitudes of contradiction and blasphemy. It brought forth division among families and men. And it brought forth judgment. Brought forth judgment. As we complete chapter 13, there's so much for us to ponder on. There's so much for us to look at and in our minds of what we studied in the Word of God for the last couple of weeks. And as we look into our own ministries and our own lives and our own service to the Lord, we have to answer certain questions. Am I a man or a woman after God's own heart? Do I delight in Him or delight in the activities? Do I delight in the Lord and the Lord alone, or do I delight in all the activities that I get my hands on? Is God the center of my life, or is he not? Or am I the center of my life? Who's the center of my life? When it comes to the showdown, will I do my, my own will over God's will, or will I accept God's will for my life and be happy and content with that? 
Will I reject the Lord the way Saul rejected the Lord, do my own thing and not obey his command? Or rebel against the commandment of the God? Or will I be like a David and yield unto God and through his spirit? When God calls attention to my guilt, will I confess it? Will I confess it and ask God to forgive me and ask him to help me to see him in a better light and not to walk in that way again? Will I seek the mercy and grace of God? Have I received the forgiveness of sin? What have I done with Jesus who is called the Christ? What is he in my life? Has my decision that I've done and said about Jesus judged me? Have I pronounced judgment on myself because of my decision for Christ? And is that judgment a good judgment or a bad judgment? How do I receive the word of God? How do I receive the word of God when it's being taught? Am I looking at my watch going, will this guy ever shut up? Am I thinking, well, I got something to do this afternoon, man. I hope the Phillies are on. No, oh, hey, they're on at 1 o'clock, man. I got to get out of here. Go on, Dave. How do you receive the word of God? Do distractions bother you? Do distractions take your mind off the word of God? Are you focused on what God's trying to say to your heart today? Are you hearing him loud and clear? Scripture says that we read this morning, be still and know that I'm God. I'm going to be exalted above the nations, he says. It's, it's not like you're not going to do anything about it. I'm going to be exalted. You might as well sit back and let me be exalted because I'm going to be exalted. I guess the last question we have to ask today, have you been appointed unto eternal life? Have you been prepared? Have you been appointed unto eternal life? Are you one of God's elect? Well, how do I know if I'm one of God's elect? Have you accepted Christ? No, and you're not one of God's elect. How do I become one of God's elect? Accept Christ. What? Yeah, accept Christ. If I accept Christ, well, then you're one of God's elect. Yeah. Get to heaven. You'll see the big sign, whomsoever will may come. When you walk through the gates, look back. You've been chosen before the foundations of the world. mystery. It's a mystery. My God would have anything to do with any of us. It's a mystery. God's word is so important. That's why we at Calvary Chapel put such an emphasis on God's word. That's why we believe in teaching it line by line, verse upon verse, one little nugget after one little nugget, so that you can get the whole counsel of God in your life. I don't want you to miss anything in God's word. When the bad stuff comes up, when the hard stuff comes up, we'll address it. We'll look at it and we'll talk about it. And about God's word, remember our rule in God's word. If you read it, heed it. If you can't read it, you don't need it. That's where God has given us a treasure, a treasure in his word. He's given us his word, his very word. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on praise. Sure.